one of my favorite Old Testament characters is uh, Enoch, right? And, and uh, if you don't know a lot about Enoch, because there's not a lot about Enoch in the Bible. But he's mentioned in Genesis 4 and 5. Uh, we know who his parents are. We know how long he lived. We know that he was mentioned in the genealogy of the Gospel of Luke. Um, we know that he's in the Hall of Faith in Hebrews chapter 11. We know that he's also in the little book of Jude at the end of the Bible. Uh, we know that he had a unique relationship with God, um, that he never experienced physical death. We know this because Genesis 5, 24 says Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. Or some other translations say he was no more. He, he never passed away. He never, he never died. The Lord just said, you're done, you know, and you're coming with me. He didn't die. Like, what an incredible man. A unique life, right, an amazing walk with the Lord. The God just took him. As interesting and as mysterious as Enoch is, he's not the most mysterious character in the Bible. Tonight, we are going to talk about the most mysterious character in the Bible, Melchizedek. And you know, last week we ended chapter 6 with those two great verses that I have to read again. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I read, I read those verses specifically because they flow directly into chapter 7, where we get to talk about Melchizedek for an entire chapter. We're going to break this chapter up into three different sermons. So I'm not covering the whole thing tonight, just covering the first 10 verses. Uh, my two sons, Titus and Case, uh, they, have this, they like to play card games. They have this card game called um, memory, Monster Memory Match. And it's one of those games where you lay all the cards out in a big square rectangle and you, you flip them over and see if you can get a match. You don't know which, what they are. It's a memory game, right? And so if you, if you flip two cards over and they're not a match, you have to flip them back over. Right? And the reason it's called Monster Memory Match is because they have interesting names to the pairs. So it's like Perplexed Patricia or Optimistic Oliver or um, Brainy Brian is one of my favorites. Um, or uh, Nostalgic Nate is another one. It's pretty great. While I was studying this, um, I read the, the name Melchizedek a lot. And I was like, how great would it be to just say Mysterious Mel, like all night long, you know? I'm going to refrain from saying Mysterious Mel all night um, because Melchizedek is pretty difficult to say. So if I say Mel, then that's what we're talking about. Okay, we're talking about Melchizedek. Um, but we're just going to cover the first 10 verses. Uh, the author of Hebrews actually picks back up with something that he started from Hebrews chapter 5, verse 10, where he says, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So he pauses, right? And, and Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 20 is basically one big parenthesis, right? He, he had to stop because he said, it's hard to explain these things because you're dull of hearing. And then in verse 11, he says, I have much to say, and these things are hard to explain. He's talking about what we're about to dive into. Like this, this right now is what he's talking about. This is super hard to explain. Melchizedek is mysterious. He's unique amongst all the characters and figures in the Old Testament because he's only mentioned three times in the whole Bible. In Genesis chapter 14, in Psalm 10, verse 4, and then in Hebrews Right? And there's thousands of years between each of those mentions. Okay? And it's not like we get a full chapter in Genesis either, like, or multiple chapters like we did for Joseph. 
You know, like we get three verses and that's it. Uh, Professor Chad Bird said this. He said, the best commentary on the Old Testament is free and it's available both digitally and in print format. It's called Hebrews. That's the book we're in, right? Why? Because it, it gives us a robust Christology, right? When we study this, as we've seen already, right, the, the author of Hebrews quotes the, Bible, uh, the Old Testament, refers back to the Old Testament more than any other book in the New Testament. And, and when we first are introduced to Melchizedek in Genesis 14, it's when Abraham is returning from battle, and, and he had just rescued his nephew, Lot. And then a thousand years pass, we don't hear anything about Melchizedek until King David wrote a psalm, Psalm 110. And, and the Holy Spirit inspired David to write Psalm 110, verse 4, where it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I don't know if you caught that, but you remember from last week when the Lord swore an oath? He said in Psalm 110, the Lord has sworn. Right? Remember the two unchangeable things from last week were the promises of God and the oath of God. And so here he's saying the Lord swore he's not changing his mind, the Messiah, right? who David is writing about. This is a Messianic Psalm, Psalm 110. He, he said he would be an eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So that's not going to be changed. The Lord said it. And then after another thousand years go by, Melchizedek isn't mentioned again until Hebrews, until the author of Hebrews. So this is fascinating. Right? This speaks to the inspiration of the scriptures. How could a mere man or mere men come up with this and tie it all together? This is unbelievable. The Bible is breathed out by God. The Holy Spirit unifies the Bible. And this is why we should have confidence in his word that it's trustworthy. Right? So at, just off the, the, t the cuff, we could say, like, praise the Lord for Melchizedek. In this little bitty way, we have the veracity of the word of God because of the mention of Melchizedek in these three different parts of the Bible. Now, we already know that the author of Hebrews has established Jesus as the great high priest. That's been a major theme. In chapter 4, he said, Since then we have this great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So that's in chapter 4. Then in chapter 5, we, we are told that Jesus is the mediator and our source of eternal salvation for all who believe in him. And then in chapter 6, we're given this amazing picture of Jesus as our anchor who entered into the very presence of God and secures our hope now and forever. And so the point that the author of Hebrews is trying to make throughout chapter 7 is that the priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to the Arianic and Levitical priesthood. Right? And that's super important. And, and it's going to be kind of confusing when we talk about this and we walk through it. But just dive in. We're going to have to use our heads a lot. All right? It's going gonna, it's gonna to stretch us a little bit, but that's okay. We can do it. And, and that's why he, he's, he's talking about Jesus as the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. He's a foreshadowing of Jesus. He prefigured the high priesthood of Jesus, which is vastly different from the Levitical priesthood. And we're going to see why as we work through the text. So I know that was a super long intro, but let's pray, and then we're going to dive into chapter 7, all right? Father, we praise you for tonight. Lord, and we, we would just be quick to say, forgive us, Father, for not acknowledging Jesus as king all the time. Forgive us for not bowing our knees and not living our lives as Jesus is our rightful 
king priest. Forgive us, Lord, when we don't acknowledge your rule and your reign. I pray that tonight you would speak through your word, that we would see how um, empty we are of righteousness, that we would see our great need for peace, Lord, and that we would see that you, Jesus, are our righteousness and peace as we read your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So here, just at the very beginning, Melchizedek is described as a priest and a king. And king-priest is pretty interesting, and it's very unique, because in the Old Testament, those two offices were never combined. They were separate, right? We're told that he is king of Salem. And some believe that Salem was a shortened version of Jerusalem, and, and, and it relates to the word shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace. That's why he's called the king of peace. And the author of Hebrews begins to recall the scene from Genesis 14, and we'll um, just quickly go back over it. Abraham got word that his kinsmen had been taken captive by some bad kings, and they got take, they, they carried off. So Abraham gets together about 318 trained men from his household, and they go out to rescue his kinfolk. Well, he pursues, attacks, and defeats his enemies. And then in Genesis 14, 16, it says, he brought back all possessions and also brought back his kinsmen, Lot, with his possessions and the women and the people. And so Abram is returning victorious, right? He's riding high, okay? And, and he's met in this victorious return with all the plunder by two kings, king of Sodom and king of Salem. He doesn't listen to the king of Sodom or what he has to say to him. But what happens when he speaks to the king of Salem and this interaction is super important? We're told about it in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. And this is what God's word says. Melchizedek king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And that's it. That's all we got. That's all we're told about Melchizedek. That's all God wanted to communicate to us about him. As quickly as he appears, he disappears from the pages of Scripture. The author of Hebrews goes on in verse 2 to say, he is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. And then he's also king of Salem, that is, king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. So if you all recall, um, when we were walking through Genesis, how specific Genesis was when we were talking about, like, parents and kids, and family trees, and how many genealogies we read, right, over and over again. We get none of that with Melchizedek, right? And this doesn't mean that Melchizedek doesn't have parents. It doesn't mean that he wasn't a real dude. We just aren't told who his parents were. We don't know his ancestry. Why? Because God didn't want us to know. He has a purpose for it. A.W. Pink said this, The silence of the Old Testament scriptures concerning Melchizedek's parentage has a designed significance. The entire omission was ordered by the Holy Spirit in order to present a perfect type of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know nothing of his birth nor of his death. His origin or or destiny are not recorded. And it's um, as if his line had no beginning and no end. 
because God was establishing a unique king priest. The name Melchizedek in and of itself means something. It's a combination of two words, two Hebrew words. The, the first word is melech, which means king in Hebrew. The second one is zedek, which means righteous. So king of righteousness, right? And in verse 3, we get the crucial description of Melchizedek. He resembles the son of God. Resembling is the key word here because Melchizedek was not the incarnate Jesus. This is not a pre-incarnate um, uh, appearance of Christ, okay? Uh, some people have said, oh, this is an angel, or this is, no, 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 this is, this is just a man. He resembled Jesus, not the other way around. Notice also that the author doesn't use the name Jesus because he's not concerned about Jesus' humanity. He is talking about the eternal son of God. There never was before a king priest like Melchizedek until Jesus, who embodied and occupied all three main offices of the Old Testament, king, priest, and prophet. Melchizedek is not Jesus. Jesus is superior to him. We're going to see that in this passage. Jesus is better than Melchizedek. Melchizedek was just a shadow. Jesus is the reality, the true king, the great high priest, the final prophet who is forever anchored in the Holy of Holies for our salvation and security. Because Jesus is responsible for ruling and leading as king. And he's interceding and sacrificing as priest. And he's being and speaking the word of God as prophet. He has and continues to fulfill all three roles of those offices perfectly, like no one before. The author of Hebrews isn't done talking about the greatness of Melchizedek. Look at verse 4. He says, see how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is, from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. So while discussing this chapter with my father-in-law, he had this to say. I thought this was super profound. He said, and he refers to him as Mel. He said, Mel is described as a great man, yet no one knows anything about him. Usually, when someone is great, we learn a little bit about why they are so great and who they are and where they came from and a list of the accomplishments that they have in life. Some people are pretty famous because of their parents and who their parents are. Maybe some people are famous for where they live or where they came from, but not old Mel. Seems that his purpose in life was to be a placeholder in time and a pointer to Christ Jesus. He was a king not to be known, but pointing to a king that we must know. Man, that's really good. He was a king, not for us to know, but pointing to the king that we have to know, right? And in the same passage, Abraham is the patriarch, but it says that Mel's great. How great is this man, right? But how, how much greater can you get in the Old Testament than Abraham? He, he, father Abraham, right? The, the, the first father, the, the founder of a nation, right? The foundation of the 12 tribes of Israel. Abraham was a great man, but the author of Hebrews says, consider how great of a man Melchizedek was, that Abraham gave him the spoils of war and received a blessing from him. So if Melchizedek is greater than Abraham, and Abraham is greater than Isaac, and Isaac is greater than Jacob, and Jacob is greater than Levi, then the priesthood of Melchizedek is greater than Aaron and Levi. You remember Aaron, right? Aaron was the brother of Moses. 
and the priestly office in the nation of Israel belonged to the descendants of Aaron. So the Arianic priesthood and the Levitical priesthood, they are two different names for the same thing. Right? The priesthood of Melchizedek is superior to Aaron because Melchizedek was not a son of Abraham. He was a king priest outside of the Abraham-Aaron lineage. This is fascinating. Jesus is a unique king priest. He has his own priesthood, not of Aaron. He's not of the line of Aaron. You remember Jesus was not of the line of Levi either. He was from the tribe of Judah, where the kings came from. So Jesus, a king priest, forever after the order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews goes on to further differentiate Abraham from Melchizedek in our remaining verses. Look at verses 7 through 10. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. So by Abraham giving the best of the spoils of victory to Melchizedek, it was as if Levi himself had paid tithes to Melchizedek. Now Levi was the son of Jacob, who's the son of Isaac, who's the son of Abraham, gave a tenth to one greater than himself. Thus, Levi, from whom all priests were descended, participated in Abraham's giving of this tithe to Melchizedek. The point being that Christ is a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he's superior. He's more important than the Levitical priesthood, right? Melchizedek, being the king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, foreshadowed the future king of peace, the Son of God himself. Because Jesus perfectly fulfills, once again, those three offices. Jesus is the perfect king. He's royal. He reigns. He rules justly. He ushers in peace for his people. Jesus is the perfect priest. He's immovable. He's anchored. He's never ceasing to intercede for us. He always provides the perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect prophet. He's always right. He always tells the truth. He never makes a mistake. He's steady. He's sound. He's the perfect word delivered to us and with us. You remember the the role of prophets was to speak the word of God to us. You remember how Hebrews even started in chapter 1? Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So Jesus is the perfect king, the perfect priest, the perfect prophet. Melchizedek was a only a type of Christ because Jesus did what Melchizedek could not do. For only Jesus could provide perfect righteousness, which provides perfect peace for his subjects. We are enemies of God because of our sin. We are all enemies of God apart from Jesus. The Bible's very clear about this. We are all guilty, rebellious sinners. Right? No one does good. No one seeks God. The Bible says no one is righteous. No one is holy. And because of that, no one has peace with God. Peace with God is based on being righteous. And since no one's righteous, no one gets peace. This is extremely bad news. Right? We have a serious problem. And it, because we have a serious lack of holiness, we can't enter into God's presence without righteousness. 
And Melchizedek's very name stands for the king of righteousness, his title, king of peace. But he could not provide perfect peace. He couldn't provide perfect peace because he wasn't perfectly righteous. Jesus alone lived a righteous life. Jesus alone on the cross exchanged his perfect righteousness for our unrighteousness in order that peace with God would be made available for us rebels. Jesus, being the perfect king priest, absorbed the wrath of God in our place and gave us his perfect righteousness. This new priesthood is good news for us today. Listen to this incredible quote from E.D. Burns. Christ's passive obedience on the cross was the climax of his life's active obedience. Jesus sweat blood, as it were, in anxiety because of his final act of obedience. He was about to drink the cup of the fury of the eternal wrath of God, as though a mountain-sized tsunami of the lava of God's judgment were charging faster than a jet plane, devastating everything in its way. And Jesus stands in front of anyone who would trust in him and swallows the crushing wave, downed the very last drop, dry. Jesus absorbed an eternity of his Father's wrath there on the cross. Infinite time compressed into those hours. Holy justice being served. Holy love being displayed. Essentially, the Father looked at his righteous Son and then looked at God hating hostile sinners and took the weight of our curse. Our edemic guilt. Our eternal punishment. And crushed his Son saying, Condemned! And he took Christ's perfect obedience and love for the Father and ascribed it to all who would believe and lovingly said, justified. Our judgment and Christ's righteousness were exchanged on the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.21, for our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God. That is good news. At Jesus' death on the cross, we're told that the, the curtain in the temple that separated the presence of God from the people, that curtain that was 60 feet tall was torn from top to bottom, something that only God could do. Because the sure and steady anchor of our souls, our salvation hope, entered into the inner place behind the curtain and sacrificed his perfect blood to make a way for us to come into his presence. Hebrews 4 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This Jesus is our perfect high priest forever. And listen to this. This is how it comes home to us today in 2023. It's not just for Israel. It's not just for the nation of Israel, but for all nations. His priesthood wasn't dependent on ancestry. Your salvation is not dependent upon your ancestry, how you were born, where you were born, your family. First Peter 1, 18-19 says, You were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Jesus suffered and died to set us free from the futility of the ancestry inherited from Adam. We don't have to be in Adam anymore. We get to be in Christ 
Christ has provided liberation from ancestral bondage, and he's called us out of darkness into his glorious light for his own purposes. In 1 Peter 2, 9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. This king priest chose you. God elected you to be a new Israel. His church that has no boundaries, that has no borders, his church, this race beyond ethnicities, beyond barriers, do you realize what Jesus has done? Sit down and think about it. Are you seeing Jesus rightly? Are you seeing yourself rightly? Are you praising him rightly? Are you interceding and representing him well in your community? Our king priest has called us out of darkness to serve him as a royal priesthood. That's good news. Our king priest has called us out of darkness to serve him as a royal priesthood. R.C. Sproul said, by virtue of our being in Christ, we participate in his kingdom. We participate in his priesthood as those who make intercession for the lost as well as for the people of God. We are a nation that is holy, sacred, consecrated, and transcendent. We as the church are a nation that is different from any nation that has ever appeared on this planet. Every other nation will rise and fall, but not the church. Believers, we have been adopted into God's royal family. We've been given a high position. This is that we're not our own, that we're his children, we're his people, a people for his own possession. We are to proclaim his excellencies. Here's what we're to be. Like Melchizedek, little known, but pointers to Jesus. Be like Melchizedek, little known, and be okay with that as long as we're pointers to Jesus. We're to be his representatives in this world that wages war against our souls. It's a good thing that we have our hope in a king priest who keeps our souls anchored to himself. Because there's only peace for those who put their faith and trust and hope in Jesus. I'll close with this quote from Richard Phillips. Jesus is our Melchizedek. He is our king of righteousness, cleansing us from our sin by his blood and clothing us in the royal robes of his perfect obedience. That is why his is the city of peace where those who find righteousness in him shall dwell forever in peace with him. Listen, because he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He is our righteousness, and he gives us peace forever and ever. He will reign as righteous king over his eternal city of peace. So come to Jesus. There is no peace outside of a relationship with him. Because apart from him and his righteousness, peace is impossible. The peace that you and I need, the peace that you crave, is impossible apart from Jesus. So submit to King Jesus. Surrender to this great king priest. Let him rule over your life. And he will give you perfect peace. Let's pray.
Father, we praise you for this good news. We praise you for sending Jesus to be our righteousness, to live that perfect life. And on the cross, to make this incredible exchange, absorbing our wrath and offering us his perfect righteousness so that we can have peace with you. Lord, and, and that peace in that vertical relationship with you enables and empowers us to have peace in our horizontal relationships with everybody else in our lives. Lord, I pray that it would be true of us here at Red Oak tonight, that we would have such peace with you that it would overflow into our relationships in the church and that it would overflow into this community, that we would have such a peace that people would ask and wonder, how can you be at peace in a world of turmoil when there's crises all over the place, when it seems like there's wars and rumors of wars, how can you be at peace? It's because we know and have a king of peace. You are a prince of peace, our king of righteousness. I pray we would not get those things mixed up. We can't have peace without your perfect righteousness. Oh, Lord, I pray that we would pursue it in and through you alone, Jesus. It's in your powerful name we pray. Amen.